Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Joseph Fordham and this is NPLH In Conversation With, the football podcast that isn't about football, brought to you by NPLH Studio. NPLH is more than a podcast. Once you've hit the follow button, visit nplhmag.com to enjoy online reads, subscribe to our newsletter and browse our collection of magazines, prints and apparel. On to the show. Hi, I'm David Bevan, and welcome to MPLH In Conversation With, the podcast where we talk to interesting and influential people committed to enacting positive change in the beautiful game. For this episode, we go back to issue five of MPLH magazine. The theme for that issue was the rich and the rest, and we're going to catch up with James Grimes, who I interviewed in May 2019 as part of an article about football's relationship with gambling. James is a recovering gambling addict who placed his last bet in April 2018. I was one of the youngest UEFA B licensed coaches in the country. Um, I had a list of things on my wall that I wanted to do before I was a certain age. And then I found gambling. He is now a campaigner working with the charity Gambling With Lives and has organised three epic charity walks taking in football grounds around the UK to try to start a conversation with clubs about their partnerships with gambling companies. Hi James, thanks for speaking to us. This feels like a good time to talk because you've been busy lately. Um, it's been great to see you and people that you're working with featuring recently on the BBC and in national newspapers as part of the coverage of the big step in the Midlands. So for anyone who hasn't heard of it, you better tell us a bit about what the big step is. Yes, certainly David, uh, good to be here. I, I started the big step in uh, April 2019 from my own experiences of gambling addiction. So I'm a recovering gambling addict, um, first and foremost, and I'm also a massive football fan. And for 12 years of my gambling addiction, football uh, failed to provide the, the help, the support, the messaging to, to help me. But not only that, it, I, I think the advertising and sponsorship in football actively made my addiction worse. And so I formed the big step with that in mind that the relationship between gambling and football is toxic. I'm living proof of that. And unfortunately, there's people that are no longer with us that are proof of that as well. So we, we initially started with a fundraising walk for Gambling With Lives, hence the name The Big Step, where we were going to walk to football clubs that have gambling shirt sponsors, trying to get them to review their relationship with gambling companies. But as time has gone on, there's actually been an appetite to turn it into a a full-time project because the issue doesn't seem to be going away if anything it might be getting worse in terms of gambling sponsorship and partnerships in football and yeah so we now I, I now do this full-time and with gambling with life support we we're now we just had our third event which has gone from asking clubs to review their relationship with gambling to now calling for an end to this and taking this above football's head to politicians, the government, ahead of the review of the Gambling Act. So how was the latest edition received? Um, so I, th I think you went to uh, clubs in the Midlands this time, didn't you? I know Leicester <laughs> was one of them. Um, how, how was it received from both from the, the fans that you, uh, that you met and the clubs that you visited? 
broadly positive. Um, this is, as I said, this is our third big step, and it, it was our biggest step yet. So we, and the previous two, we walked 124 miles and 100 miles. This one, we walked 130 miles. Um, we walked from Derby to Forest, but the long way round. Um, we visited all the clubs in the Midlands that have gambling sponsorship and partnerships, including Leicester, who have five betting partnerships. Why any club needs five betting partnerships is beyond me. But the, the thing that we were most proud of this time was that we were joined by other people that were harmed, that have been harmed by gambling. So recovering gambling addicts, um, their families, uh, some parents of loved ones that are no longer with us. So it was really powerful to see this amount of people who have had such a negative life experience and have had so much taken away from them because of gambling, regain it all, regain it, regain their freedom, regain their self-worth, their um, motivation and their, their advocacy. So it, I think sometimes we can be guilty of just reciting our stories over and over again. But I think the difference with this walk was a lot of us, it, it went beyond our stories. It was now that we wanted change and we were calling for change together, standing together, literally standing together, calling for change. And we were, we've been blown away um, with the support. We, the main focus of this walk was a petition to end gambling advertising, sponsorship and promotion in football. And we got, we're up to 2,700 at the moment. Uh, it's not, you know, that's not going to change things overnight, but I'm proud of every single one of those signatures. And it's about showing the public and politicians that what we're saying is popular. And not only did the politicians support us, um, we, ha we actually had a, a separate event in Glasgow, the Scotland Big Step, where a group of people harmed by gambling walked from um, Rangers to Celtic uh, to call for the same issue. And Ronnie Cowan, MP from the SNP, joined them and had a, net, a big step hoodie on. So that was quite a proud moment for us. So we know the political support is there. It's just trying to get the message out there as much as possible to the public. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the the coverage of it really helped. So we had a BBC breakfast piece and then a, a BBC Sport follow up the next day. And still getting messages uh, to this day from people that either have been affected and want to help or just from uh, members of the public that have no issue with gambling but just think there's too much advertising and don't want to see it on the front of our football shirts in front of kids and they're the people we've got to get on board and this isn't the end of the big step when we cross the finish line at Nottingham Forest um, I think we're just getting started. You mentioned there the, the fans who are supportive even though they might not have a huge problem with gambling but they're fed up with the prevalence of gambling advertising and sponsorship in football that is something that's difficult to miss when you're watching a game isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's there are there in the Premier League. There's only five clubs that don't have a gambling sponsor or betting partner, um, and that's important to make to include both in the same category because at the moment, uh, because of COVID, you'll see a lot of advertising space has become available around the pitch. So you could argue that actually the betting partnerships, which allow for the pitch side promotions, are equally, if not more, um, damaging than the shirt sponsorships and there's in the championship there's only four clubs that don't and so we are up against it and it, it is everywhere and it has it has an impact and it has consequences we don't say this for the sake of it we say this because well i say this from my own experiences i know the reason one of the main reasons that 
um, my gambling addiction started was because of the introduction and exposure to gambling advertising in my favourite sport. Um, and we've got we've got to a point now where it's so saturated that during match of the day highlights show, a gambling brand is visible up to eighty nine percent of the time on terrestrial television. I mean, what what have we got to when children can watch a match of the day show at eight am on a Sunday Sunday morning and nearly ninety percent of the time they're being exposed to a gambling brand. So that's why we need we need it to end and uh, we need to denormalise gambling in football. No, I mentioned um, Leicester in particular there, not to single them out, but because I support the club. Um, and it's something that I was probably aware of in terms of the number of partnerships that, uh, that Leicester had and other clubs have. But it's only really since I spoke to you um, for MPLH initially for issue five, 18 months ago now, that it's become a, a real passion subject for me as well. And when uh whenever i've shared your message on social media there's been definite support from other fans who as you say there's a whole spectrum from people who it means an awful lot to to people who are just fed up of uh gambling ads everywhere um is is that what you find from from like generally from uh from fans of all clubs that that there is a kind of underlying just people are fed up with uh, the prevalence of gambling sponsorship. Yeah, I think so. And first of all, let me say thanks, Dave, for your continued support and sharing. It doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and I have seen some of your fellow Leicester fans comment positively. And you're right, we, we get that a lot. We had an awareness day last year at Derby County and the overwhelming response we got from people was, I don't want anyone telling me what I can do with my money. I don't want people telling me I can't have a bet. I like having a bet. And we agree. However, we even those people think there's too much. The people that like a bet don't need to be encouraged to do so uh, three times before kickoff or for, throughout the whole game on pitch and, and on the shirts uh, as well. So, yeah, it's it's trying to. There is, is I, I believe there's going to be some surveys out soon that will show how unpopular gambling sponsorship in football is and. You know, there's recent examples of clubs that have ditched their gambling sponsors, um, Everton and Aston Villa, to name two, and their shirt sales have gone up 50 and 60% respectively. So that just shows that there's a whole group of people that either won't buy their sh won't buy a shirt with a gambling sponsor on, or just or just fed up a bit and don't want it anymore. And uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that there's more clubs doing that. When we started the big step. There was 27 clubs out of the top 44 divisions that had uh, shirt front gambling sponsors. There's now only 22, um, so we are chipping away. Um, but ultimately, I think this decision won't be through football. It will have to come through regulation and government. One of the clubs that you went to on the latest big step was Derby. And they obviously made the headlines with this... Um, I don't know what you would call it, a, a marketing ploy, I suppose, giving Wayne Rooney the number 32 as part of a, a partnership with a gambling company. Um, that seemed to me like a particularly cynical ploy. Um, when things like that happen, does it, do you feel a setback or does it help you because it's something that you can kind of center the message around? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't. I don't think it helps us because 
fundamentally um the, the truth behind that is that that shows that's probably the best example of how entrenched gambling is in football and it's not far-fetched to say that if there wasn't people screaming from the sidelines about this that that would be happening more and more i think because of the negative reaction that specific transfer deal had um clubs won't go down that road but as i said if, if, if there wasn't people that were flagging the dangers of this and why this is unethical and why this is immoral you know, I honestly think you wouldn't be far off seeing a day where a club is entirely owned by a gambling company in the stadium. I mean, we've got Stoke already, um, but so we're not far off that anyway. But um, the Wayne Rooney thing in particular was, uh, it got quite a lot of publicity. And I think even fans thought that there's something strange about this, but that negativity dies down and it goes away. And fans are quite fickle and they soon forget. So it's important that we keep, you know, we keep saying the same thing that this is not a sustainable way to run a football club. This money is not healthy money or good, clean money. This has come off the back of harm and it shouldn't be paying Wayne Rooney's wages. It does seem to be the mid-range clubs that go for gambling sponsorships, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know. Um, this would be a kind of educational thing, I guess, um, because some of the bigger clubs are not uh, they're not necessarily sponsored by gambling companies, are they? They they might have partnerships, but it's not on the sh on the shirts. Um, it, it, is this something that, if you took all the gambling sponsorship money out of football, would it adversely affect a certain type of club? Do you think? Well, I, I my instinct to that is that I tell you the clubs that it won't affect. It won't affect the clubs that explicitly reject gambling sponsorship now and they're not going to have this worry in however many years it takes for this to go and clubs like Tranmere Rovers and Luton Town, um, Lewis FC as well, all of those clubs have been publicly um, explicit in their rejection of gambling sponsorship and it's, when, when something happens it's not going to affect them but you are right and the, the flip side of that is gambling companies can't get anywhere near the big clubs, they don't sponsor Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, Man United, Man City um, and yeah, I think there is something cynical going on. I think, especially in the lower ends of the Premier League, um, there's a lot of Asian betting sponsors as well, which appeal to a global audience. So effectively using, um, you know, a, a well-loved, much-loved club's shirt, historic shirt to sell betting to a Chinese market. And yeah, and, and, and the lower league clubs, um, there is a growing dependency, I think, on gambling, sponsorship and partnership money. And I just reiterate that this money comes from addiction. Like certain betting companies, 80% uh, of their profit comes from just 4% of players. And let's not beat around the bush. Those 4% of players are very likely to be gambling addicts and are living with all the consequences that that entails. So this is not a healthy... Um, dependency and the lower league clubs obviously now are in a much more precarious financial situation than they probably ever have been but I would urge them to avoid the temptation of easy gambling money and really think about your social responsibility where this money actually comes from. I suppose there was a bit of devil's advocacy in that question there because it's certainly something I'm on board with but it's just interesting to to know who this might affect I guess in terms of the clubs because um, there were one or two responses to when I last talked about this on social media that said that clubs um, of a certain range are reliant on this money. Um, I suppose... So just sorry, 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 David, just cut in there as well. They, they also made the same fears 
about tobacco sponsorship and alcohol sponsorship. And, you know, these, these sports and these clubs, they don't collapse. There will always be something else. We need to go back to the, the time. I remember in the 90s and the mid-2000s when the things that sponsored football clubs were things that made stuff, that produced stuff, that gave to society. And, and even, it's not the best example, but like Newcastle in the 90s, at least it was a local thing. It was Newcastle Brownell. What association does Love Bet? that is based in China, I believe, have to Burnley and their local town. Um, so, yeah, as you, as you said, this, um, yeah, this, it, it was a good devil's advocate question. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, this dependency is, is not sustainable. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it is, it, it's certainly when you see kids walking around with, um, with gambling companies on their shirts, um, it, it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a worry, I suppose, um, as to how early they can get hooked on it being normalised and how um, it, intrinsically it's linked to football. I guess this this cuts to the heart of what it's all about. I suppose the um, the campaign uh, thinking about the way it affects children. Is there evidence to suggest that children are getting hooked on? gambling in football and in sport generally earlier now yeah well i think um it's it's never it's never been for us about a child will see a gambling brand on a football kit and then run out of the stadium or run out of his house and straight to a bookies to place a bet and become immediately addicted to gambling that would be naive to think that that's the case but what is true and there is evidence to show this is that children as young as eight can recall these brands. They can match which brands uh, sponsor which football teams. They, they, they're growing up thinking that betting is a normal part of football. And all of this, brand loyalty and brand recognition and um, brand recall, eventually causes consumer intent. So when they are legal age to gamble, or even when they're not, um, they're going to think these brands are safe, trustworthy, reliable brands that have no risk involved, have no harm attached to them, and are happy to spend their money on doing so. And that's, you know, that there is research, but the, the, the best research, research and evidence I can give is my own experiences. And as I've said before, I have absolutely no doubt one of the main reasons I used a certain betting company um, was because my team had them on the front of their shirt. And I would never have known about that gambling company had they not been emblazoned across my favourite team shirt and around the stadium and that company by the way went on to abuse me as a vulnerable addict and fouled me with free bets and bonuses and didn't self-exclude me when they should have done so these small examples of brand exposure add up and it's happening on a daily basis so you've obviously uh, touched on your own experience there we better get into this as to, to why this is um why this has become your full-time job and, and, and the kind of um the, your background um so we first spoke 18 months ago. Um, we were introduced by Charles Ritchie, the co-founder of the charity Gambling With Lives. Charles's son, Jack, took his own life as a result of gambling addiction. And Charles and his wife, Liz, have been important voices leading the push for, for government to restrict the influence and prevalence of gambling companies. So can you speak a bit about your own story um, and the effect gambling had on your life during that addictive phase yeah of course and maybe i'll start before then i'll try and give a short version but 
Um, just probably emphasise first and foremost that I had a good upbringing. I don't believe that I have an addictive personality. I've never had an addiction to anything else. I was quite a driven, motivated, confident young person. I wanted to be a football manager. I was one of the youngest UEFA B licensed coaches in the country. Um, I had a list of things on my wall that I wanted to do before I was a certain age. And then I found gambling. Um, but gambling found me because gambling was everywhere in football when I was a kid. And I, I used to believe the adverts when it said it matters more when there's money on it. So I started by placing small little bets on football predominantly um, and accumulators like £5 here, £10 there. And thinking it was an innocent, risk-free, casual activity like many people do. Um, the minute I was introduced to fixed odds betting terminals in bookmakers and then worse still online gambling my whole world changed because I still remember the feeling of logging into an online gambling site for the first time and seeing that you could bet on 200 games around the world at any point you could play casino games you could play slot machines I just thought wow this is amazing I've got so much accessibility and availability to do the thing that I want to do more than anything which is gamble. But obviously that has disastrous consequences because these games, these products are designed two ways. One, to guarantee a profit and two, to cause addiction. And it did both, um, unfortunately. And for, yeah, for 12 years of my life, it was an all-consuming addiction that it was the only thing I thought about. It was the cause and consequence of most of my life's problems. And, um, as, as all the things that I lost, money was probably the least important to me. Looking back, I lost uh, jobs, I lost friendships, lost relationships, lost trust with my family. Um, but the, the things that you, you can't touch, the not tangible things that I lost were motivation to do anything, career prospects, um, self-worth, self-esteem, confidence. All those things were completely destroyed. And that just shows the power of gambling products and how they're sold because it changed me into a person that I never thought I could be someone that I'd absolutely detest and I look back at the way I treated people um, and I have still have shame and guilt to this day and a lot of a lot of the problem during it as well was I think because of a responsible gambling narrative which told me the whole time why can't I just stop when the fun starts? Why don't you just stop, James? Why can't you set limits like everybody else? Why can't you stay in control, keep it fun? But as a lot of people that are struggling with gambling know, some of these products are, are literally designed to bypass part of your brain, which allows you to set a limit, which allows you to stay in control, which allows you to gamble responsibly. So it was completely ineffective. And, and if anything, um, exacerbated the shame, guilt, depression, anxiety that, I, that I had from it um, and yeah it you know it took me to my darkest places um, I, I stopped betting on April the 5th 2018 which was my 28th birthday where I lost every single penny I had in the world in 20 minutes um, in Huddersfield town centre in three different bookmakers and I don't I I barely remember it, to be honest. It was an out-of-body experience. I don't remember spinning the wheels. I don't remember putting the cash into the machines. All I remember is getting home and, um, yeah, like just feeling that this was it. There's nowhere else to turn. Um, and, yeah, I, as, as you mentioned, gambling with lives, I 
the stories really resonate with me. I, I was, there was nothing else wrong with me. There was just this one thing that I couldn't shake. There was this one thing that was destroying everything and was making the hole bigger. And I can see how some people don't have their rock bottom moment, don't stop, they end their life. And um, yeah, I'm now fortunate to be two and a half years into recovery and I'm never naive to the fact that, um, and I'm eternally grateful for that because I know there's so many people that don't do that and there's so many people that are still struggling with gambling. I know how painful it is. Um, and yeah, for anyone that is listening, that is struggling and you can stop, do stop because life is now infinitely better uh, without gambling. Actually, what you've just said there, that touches on a question that I've been wanting to ask. If someone's in a situation similar to the one that you were in um, over two and a half years ago, what, what would you say to them? And knowing that situation um, so well, how difficult is it, I suppose, to listen to people? It's, it's extremely difficult. I didn't listen to anyone for about five, six years towards the end. People would try and tell me that I needed to stop. Or as I said earlier, why can't you just stop, James? But that underestimates the power of addiction and the power of using some of these addictive products. And um, for someone that is in that place now, I would say, be honest with yourself. Is this causing you damage that isn't just financial? You're not just seeing the harm in your wallet. Are you seeing the harm in your mental well-being? Are you taking it out on people? Are you lying to people? They're all big markers of gambling addiction and gambling harm. And if, and if so, be honest with somebody else. Tell somebody else what it's doing to you, and not just financially. Tell someone that it's doing those things to you, someone close to you that you trust. And I guarantee you, these people won't turn their back on you. They won't shun you. There won't be a stigma. They'll, people want to support. I treated people, I nearly swore them, I treated people awfully, and every single person, without fail, helped me, supported me, and now we're even walking hundreds of miles with me. So if there's people out there that are struggling and are worried about that, don't do it, don't do it. And try to put practical measures in place if you can stop, like GAMBAN and GAMSTOP, which allow you to, to uh, not access online gambling, which is obviously the most easy and accessible way to feed that addiction, unfortunately. What about if you're... Um if you're worried about a relative who might be gambling or a, you know someone close to you is is it is it a case of just starting that dialogue um how do, how do you feel you know what's going to have the most impact um if someone's concerned yeah it, it's it's really hard for the affected others that yougov recently estimated that 3.6 million people are affected by somebody else's gambling so you know, for my, in my case, there was probably 10 to 20 people that experienced some form of gambling harm off the back of my addiction. So there is a lot of people out there that are longing for answers about what to do. And the, the, the first thing I would advise is try and practice some empathy. Understand that this person, this isn't the fault entirely of this person. They don't want to be doing this. They don't want to be like this or treat you like this. They're doing it because they're deeply addicted to something that's deliberately addicted, addictive. And uh, you can point them in the right direction to, to places. The, the NHS Northern Gambling Service does allow for 
um, referrals by a loved one and for a loved one as well. And they, they're excellent. They're a specialist addiction treatment service. But you can, if you need to approach the person, the individual directly, don't make it about money. Don't make it about blame or shame or guilt. Just try and listen um, to what gambling's doing to them and say that you'll, you'll, you'll support them um, and help them try and enter recovery. So from, from that moment when um, you decided or it, it, it came to your lowest point in April 2018, what was that journey like from that point to you know, over the next few days and weeks? And how long did it take you to, to stop? I mean, have, have you stopped being contacted by gambling companies? Because I know that's one of the biggest issues, isn't it, for, for people who try to quit gambling is that they are being hooked all the time um, by emails in particular, I guess, from gambling companies. Well, I, I mean, the, the truth is that gambling addiction is probably one of the hardest to maintain recovery from because of the environment that we're in. I could walk out of this house now and I could walk into a bookies that is 60 seconds away and destroy my life like that. And there'll be no checks, no verifications. I could do the same probably online for unregulated sites. Um, and yeah, I do still see the adverts. I see the adverts as much as anybody else does. And I still get direct marketing. Every time I open my emails, I've literally got my emails open now and it says William Hill Casino, 25% free uh, free offer so it, it is everywhere so it's so hard for people to maintain recovery but i think people have to try and get the, the the knowledge of what this industry is actually like and then you'll start to realize you don't want to give them another penny ever because they are a predatory industry that extract from the most vulnerable have no care for their customers and they don't deserve your money um in terms of what happened to me after I stopped, it was, it was very difficult. The first three days about a bet was some of the lowest moments of my life, to be honest. I just didn't, I didn't eat. I was just sitting in my room all day doing nothing. Had no job to go to. Was in like a squalid basement in a 15-bedroom house in Huddersfield. Not that there's anything wrong with Huddersfield, but the, uh, the, the house wasn't great. And I, I watched a documentary by, uh, about a man called Tony O'Reilly who was an Irish postman who stole um, millions from the Irish post office to feed his gambling addiction. And he now works as a, as a counsellor for gambling addiction. And that was the first time I saw a vision of hope. And I was like, this, this doesn't have to define me. There is a life beyond this and it's not entirely my fault. And from then on, it was, um, yeah, it was a case of, constantly reminding myself of all the negative consequences, putting those practical tools in place. And the first few days and few weeks were very hard. All I wanted to do was open an online account and start betting to get, to get out of the financial mess that I was in through gambling. Because that doesn't go away. That's important to note that just because you stop gambling, all, all of your problems don't go away. They're, they're still there. And, and to be honest, they're still here now, two and a half years later. Um, and that legacy of financial harm is, is something that people should be told about, I think, in schools uh, and in education. So, yeah, from then, um, I started replacing gambling with meaningful activities. I socialized a lot more, got more confidence back. And then I read an article about gambling with lives, who you referenced um, randomly. And I was, 
obviously choked up. I was moved. It resonated with me. And I reached out to them about with the idea of what turned out to be the big step. Um, initially, it was going to be called Rambling for Safer Gambling. They, they didn't like that and soon shut it down. Um, but they, um, they were extremely supportive. And they started to show me and tell me the stories of all the boys of gambling with lives. And I started to realize that these are all normal, bright um, people that had no other problem in their life. And uh, without sounding arrogant, that, that fit with my um, story as well. So, yeah, having a purpose and a campaign motivation and an understanding of what this industry did to me gives me a lot of strength. Like, but I know, I, I know that everybody doesn't get to that point. So I'm not naive to think it's easy to just stop gambling and stay stopped. Um, I still have to do things that allow for me to to stay stopped. And yeah, I'd like to think that I was a former gambler, um, but I think I'll always be a recovering gambler. It's um, it's obviously uh, uh, been an incredible sort of incredible journey in terms of positive steps as well, hasn't it? So the the milestones that you've um, that you've seen, I'm interested to know which clubs and which individuals have made the biggest impact on you in the positive steps that they've taken to, to reduce the amount of gambling sponsorship, I guess. Yeah, I have to probably firstly say um, that Tramir Rovers, who we have a partnership with now, um, Mark Palios, the chairman, he was extremely supportive and believes that the gambling industry are predatory and they... And gambling addiction is very pernicious, and he's been excellent. And the the problem is that those clubs and those people are few and far between. Luton Town are another. Uh, Gary Sweet, the chairman there, has been supportive. We're about to announce um, two new partnerships with two big football clubs, which we're really excited about. Uh, who recently got rid of gambling sponsorship, and yeah, that they, they it, it does fill me with pride and motivation to see that there is an alternative and that we are slowly making a difference but as I said we're swimming against the tide it's very we can walk hundreds of miles but it's very hard to keep up with a 14 billion pound industry um, and that's why we have to we have to keep going and we have to keep forming these partnerships with football to try and try and change it through politics but also try and change it through football and, and be involved to change it from within. And you're going to need the support of fans to do that. And as, as we've discussed, that there is a, a groundswell of support for, for what you're talking about. So what are the tangible steps that people can um, take? What's the call to action if they're listening to this and thinking, yes, I agree with everything that James is saying um, and I want to help? Uh, what are the ways that they can do that? I'd be, I'd be very surprised if they agree with every single thing I've said. But if, <laughs> if they have, then... Um, there's a petition that we've got at the moment. We need to make as much noise as possible on that to show the government ahead of um, the Gambling Act review where the, the rules are about to be changed on gambling in this country. We need to show government that this is unpopular. So the change.org petition is change.org slash end gambling ads in football. Um, as many signatures on that as possible and share it as much as possible. But also there's other things that you can do, like write to your MP, express your concerns, write to your football club, express your concerns and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at The Big Step. And we're, we're regularly posting updates and, 
uh, announcements that there's opportunity for people to get involved in. We, we've we've realised, um, and I've realised that this is more of a movement now than it is just me and a laptop and a few miles walking. This is there's lots of people that want to help, want to support, and I welcome anyone that can can do so. Seems like a good note to end on, really. Uh, it's always good to be involved in a in a movement for positive change, isn't it? So um, that's a really strong message, which I think will resonate with a lot of people. And it's and it's um, it's people, I suppose, putting the onus on fa- football fans to to take positive action. So um, I was guilty of uh, sharing something that you'd put on social media and saying that. It was to raise awareness, and that's the, one of my pet hates is raising awareness because you've got to do something, haven't you? <laughs> so, hopefully, if you're listening to this and you think you can make a positive change, then those are the steps to do it. Thanks for your time, James. Really appreciate it. And I know from from MPLH's ethos around the magazine, this is something that everyone involved in it is, is supportive of. And we'll be keeping in touch to see what happens in the near future with with Gambling With Lives and The Big Step. Brilliant. Thank you so much, David. For more of our content, both online and in print, visit mplhmag.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to hit the follow button and I'll see you next time.